There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. Nice to see you, Greg. Nice to be here, Colin. Yeah. And last week, Greg, as you recall, we reviewed behavioral biases. Do you say biases or biases? I say biases. Biases. I guess there's two trains of thought on that. Anyways, and how they pertain to investment decision-making processes. So this is a really important topic and we weren't able to spend a lot of time on it because we only had half an hour, but it is something that we are going to spend more time on in the future and we are hoping to have some experts in the field join us for those. But today we wanted to relate those back to the headlines that we're surrounded by these days. And Greg, you're familiar with all of these headlines. I am, although I do want to draw everyone's attention to the fact that the title of this episode is Headlines Hurt Hairlines. <laughs> yeah. And I'm taking that a little personally because for anybody who knows us, I'm the one without a hairline, so to speak. So I just want to clarify. It wasn't a personal attack. Don't take it as such. You're living in self-attribution bias right now, Greg. You don't find marble tops on cheap coffee tables. I just want you to know that. (laughs) Anyways, today we are going to talk about these headlines and four specific ones and how they are driving levels of anxiety for investors. And the reason we wanted to bring these up today is, quite honestly, we've been getting more calls recently with a U.S. election coming up in the next less than 60 days. And the other headlines that we're surrounded by that are causing stress for people are focused around things like coronavirus or COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter movement, of course, the U.S. election and Canada's energy market. Now, Greg, I just want to preface this by saying like we are not going to be making political statements on any of these items? No. And I think the important thing to remember is that what we're trying to deal with is just the facts that headlines hurt airlines. That's right. They cause stress. And regardless of what side of any particular issue you are, just the stress of the headlines can affect how people look at their portfolios and their investments and make decisions around those. Now, this COVID one is an interesting one. And what I want to talk about specifically today is the idea of wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask. And there's a lot of debate about this. And again, we're not making a political statement for or against, but I run into people that make political statements to me for and against wearing a mask. Yes, for sure. So in Calgary, the city council did, or they do want to pass a bylaw. I'm not sure if, did they pass the bylaw to enforce? It is a bylaw, yeah. It's officially been passed. And we do need to wear masks in public spaces. And this is a little contrary to the province. The province of Alberta has not made this mandatory. So this is, I guess, a regional thing. That's right. Yeah, I think Calgary City only. I'm not sure if there are any other cities in the province that have made it a bylaw. I think Edmonton did, actually. Oh, okay. But regardless, we got to ask the question, and that is, what's the harm in wearing one? Whether or not you're for it or against it, you believe in it or you don't believe in it. So I looked at a little bit of data from, well, not data, but a posting from the Mayo Clinic. And the question posted to the Mayo Clinic was, can face masks help slow the spread of the coronavirus that causes COVID-19? 
and they just answer with one word, Greg. You know what it is? Yes. 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 They say face masks combined with other preventative measures, such as frequent hand washing and social distancing, help slow the spread of the virus. So I guess this makes sense. In regardless of what is being spread, you're just limiting for sure germs. So now this was a little contrary to what they had originally come out with, they being the World Health Organization and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, because originally they had said that face masks weren't really necessary, but they changed their mind and they just recommend that cloth face masks for the public and surgical and N95 masks for healthcare providers would slow the spread, whether you believe it or not. Right on. So- When we relate this back to investing, because this is an investment podcast, we ask the question, can the stress of headlines around COVID and mask wearing and things like that come creeping into portfolios for investors who are nervous? What do you think? I think absolutely. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's a headline that tells you, if you think back to the original headlines in March, I mean, geez, everybody was going to die. The market was going to collapse. The economy was going to zero. And right now, obviously all of the headlines around, will there be a vaccine? Will there not be a vaccine? If there is a vaccine, will it be before the U.S. election, which we're going to be talking about as well? Or will it be after the election? So all of those headlines cause lots of stress and anxiety and have a lot of people wondering, what does this mean for our investments? That's an interesting point you made because there's also a lot of people that have publicly stated that even if there is a vaccine, they won't take it. And that's another whole podcast discussion, I guess, about people's reluctance in some case to take vaccines or to use vaccines. Now, again, we're not medical professionals. We never claim to be. Although, Greg, you do have a master's degree in genetics. Yes, I do, which absolutely makes me no better at at having points of view on this than anybody else. So what's the next headline that we're going to talk about? And one of the things, obviously, that has been in the news a lot, and it's become a highly political issue in the U.S., is the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, this is a hot topic. The New York Times posted how Black Lives Matter might be the largest movement in U.S. history. So across the U.S., there's been more than 4,700 demonstrations, or an average of about 140 per day since the first protests began in Minneapolis back on May 26th. So, And the turnout for these has ranged from dozens to tens of thousands in about 2,500 small towns and large cities across the U.S. Isn't that interesting, though? So... There's obviously a lot of people protesting during a time of a global pandemic. And a lot of people still view it as necessary, of course. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. That's right. It just creates more drama. You've got a very serious movement intersecting with a very serious global pandemic that encourages social distance. So on top of all that, is that going to, or the stress of the demonstrations and these, some peaceful, some not-so-peaceful uprisings, can they creep into portfolios for investors that are nervous? Can I answer that one? Please do. Of course I can. Right on. Because it's a headline that tells you how awful things are. Actually, on that note, Time Magazine actually reported that 93% of all of these protests have actually been peaceful. But we don't ever read about the peaceful ones, or you don't see video clips of the peaceful ones. That's right, because it's not that newsy. That's not what many news organizations are also advertisers. That's where they earn their money is by advertising. And they want to report on, again, the less peaceful, the more violent types of demonstrations. Well, and we've talked about that in past episodes, Greg, where we talked about how if the headline says 
all good. Everything's okay. It doesn't get a lot of press. No, that's right. I can feel my hairline receding even further as we talk. (laughs) I've always wondered why my kids ask me, hey, dad, why the long face? (laughs) Clearly, you've touched a nerve with this headline. Is this just because I haven't had a haircut since February? Is this why this is coming out, Greg? Thank goodness people can't see what the two of us look like. Okay, well, let's talk about the U.S. election, this little event that's coming up on November 3rd. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our podcast with regards to can you make any kind of predictions about how the stock market is going to behave depending on who gets elected. And I think, as we discussed, there is no pattern historically, that would say, okay, well, a Republican or a Democratic president is going to have a particular impact on the stock market. But what we're talking about here is a little bit, it's almost bigger than that, because it's not just the facts as to how do markets react, but it's how do people react that we're talking about. How nervous are people going to get? And one of the things that, particularly for us Canadians, that's really so unclear about the U.S. election is just the whole concept of how the president is chosen. And that being by electoral college as opposed to popular vote. Because in the States, every voter votes specifically for the president of their choice. Correct. Whereas, of course, in Canada, we do not. That's right. And looking at the U.S. government website, in the electoral college system, each state gets a certain number of electors based on its total number of representatives in Congress. Each elector gets to cast one electoral vote following the general election And there are a total of 538 electoral votes. And the candidate gets more than half, or 270, wins the election. So again, not popular vote, but votes of the Electoral College. ABC News posted just this month as well, just for interest for us Canadians, the Electoral College was devised at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. And basically, it was a compromise between those that wanted direct popular elections for president and those who preferred to have Congress decide. So at that time, there was little national identity, and there was a lot of competition among the states, and there were concerns that people would favor their regional candidates and that big states with denser populations would dominate the vote. So that's why the Electoral College was established. Just to summarize, there's 538 votes in total. Correct. And they need half plus one to win. Exactly. So what happens, though, is because of this hybrid system that they've got set up there, you end up with more weight given to a single vote in a small state than the vote of someone in a large state, leading to outcomes that, well, sometimes have been at odds with the popular vote. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because what we're talking about here is like the state of North Dakota having a similar electoral college vote to a larger state, as an example. Nothing against the state of North Dakota, by the way. Love North Dakota. But the popular vote is different than the electoral vote. But it's, as you say, it's the electoral vote that is where the president is chosen from. So I looked a little bit at the popular vote. And there have actually been five presidents in history to date that have won the electoral college vote and become presidents, however, have lost the popular vote. And the most recent, of course, was in 2016, when Hillary Clinton won more popular votes than Donald Trump. Three of these events happened in the 1800s. I don't really care too much about those. I mean, do we spend time talking about votes from the 1800s? Not necessary. But the more recent one to Donald Trump, or the most recent one, was George W. Bush in the year 2000. So I guess two out of the last three presidents lost the popular vote and won the electoral college vote. 
And that, of course, would result in some pretty upset people, given that in the case of Donald Trump, I think three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump. And then to see the other candidate get elected can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. And again, we're not making any statements for or against any candidates. Nope. We're just saying that these are just statistical facts. That's right. So, Greg, I got to ask you, so these volatile headlines around U.S. elections, at times, can they creep sort of anxiety into portfolios of investors? Of course they can. Of course. And they do. (laughs) And they do constantly. (laughs) Well, so the fourth headline we want to talk about today is the Canadian energy industry, because there are a lot of headlines, specifically in Alberta, about what's happening to oil and gas jobs, oil and gas companies. There is a debate whether or not certain governments are either pro-energy or anti-energy or somewhere in between. Again, not making a statement, just these are just the headlines that we're faced with. But I wanted to look at the energy industry itself and how much it provides in participation to things like the gross domestic product of Canada. And what I found was that the energy industry accounts for just under 10% of the gross domestic product or GDP of Canada. That seems like a pretty significant number. It's very significant. These statistics are a little dated. They're from 2018. So recent, just not this year. In 2018, there were 282,000 people in Canada employed directly in the energy market. And there was a total of 550,000 people either directly or indirectly employed in the energy market. That's a lot of people. And when you look at the number of people employed and then Of course, for anybody that's been watching the situation with the oil and gas markets that really started back in 2014, but was exacerbated big time by the global economic shutdowns that occurred in March, there's a lot of people, a lot of that 550,000 jobs that are at stake right now or have been lost already. I just ran into a friend the other night who told me he got, in his words, the COVID handshake in June. Wow. Is middle management in an energy company. And I think the problem I have or the fear I have for the people like that is where do you find another replacement job of that level? The revenues for energy in 2017 for Canada, so these are the government revenues, were $14.1 billion. And in that same year, there was about $800 million spent on energy research, development, and deployment by the Canadian government. And Canada is actually the sixth largest energy producer the fourth largest net exporter, and the eighth largest consumer in the world. So when this market is hit with the reality of what it's going through, outside of COVID, Greg, right? Absolutely. This is totally independent. As I say, this has been going on now for the last six years. So when we're going through a six-year, call it a bear market in energy specifically, and we're forced to see headlines in Calgary all the time about companies who have laid off people, companies who have failed, people who are having economic hard times. Uh, Greg, I got to ask you, can those headlines in Alberta around the death or not death, but at least the decline of energy markets and jobs creep into portfolios of investors? Well, I think my hairline tells the story. (laughs) Yeah. Why the long face? (laughs) So, Let's just summarize this here. So again, why we did this episode was the questions we're getting from investors are focused around those four headlines. Those four headlines being coronavirus, Black Lives Matter, or the other two headlines. The U.S. election, of course. The U.S. election, and of course, the energy market in Alberta. 
So when we have these conversations, Greg, people are always asking, well, what should I do? If these headlines are around us, what should I do with my portfolio? And when you think about it, any one of those headlines is big enough to cause people to worry about what's the future look like? Should we even be in the market or should we be sort of tucking our wealth under our beds or whatever that might be? And so when you put all of them together, it becomes an overwhelming mix or weight of anxiety because you're trying to connect the dots on so many moving parts and make predictions about one or more, in this case four, major issues and trying to predict how they're going to affect what happens in the stock market and are we going to be okay? And there's lots of reasons to think, well, are we going to be okay financially? Are we going to be healthy? Is there going to be more civil unrest in the U.S. if the popular vote and the electoral vote mismatch by a large amount? And so the question is, what do you do? And because each of those headlines, those, these are not like short-term headlines, right, Greg? Like These are like when my son asks me, Dad, when is coronavirus going to go away? I don't know. Black Lives Matter movement. Like that, This is a big one, as you pointed out. It's going to take a long time to work through that. Even with the U.S. election ending on November 3rd, and I think the vote actually isn't put out until the 4th. Usually it's the next day or late into the evening. Late into the evening, typically. Yeah. And this year with mail-in ballots, playing a much larger role because, of course, of COVID. People right. don't want to go out and congregate at election locations. So, But even having said that, so when that election occurs, whoever wins the election is still going to have four years. That's right. So this isn't like it will be resolved just because there's an election. Or in the energy markets case, the world is going through a bit of a change maybe in how energy is viewed. The point I'm making, Greg, is that these are not like one or two weeks and they'll be solved. No. So what do we do? Well, you tell me. I guess pulling it all together, we believe strongly in a lot of the things we've talked about in previous podcasts. So for instance, in our second podcast, we talked about asset allocation. Asset allocation is strictly a way of combining assets in a portfolio that attempt to give you the same expected return with a lower amount of risk. And that's why adding bonds, say, to a stock portfolio can still deliver an excellent return while lowering the risk of the overall portfolio. And I want to point out something here because we always assume, well, go back to your original asset allocation. So we spend time on asset allocation, kind of working out a specific strategic weighting between stocks, bonds, and cash, let's say, that we believe is one that we can live with. But for many people, for investors, for instance, who have only been investing for 10 years that have not experienced a bear market until this year, they haven't had the experience to know exactly how it feels, as we've talked about, not the reality of watching your assets decline by 20% or 25%, but how it makes you feel, whether you can sleep at night, how it affects everything you do. And so it sometimes is the opportunity for people to say, maybe my asset allocation wasn't right. Like maybe I need to sell some stocks, but not because I'm worried about the short term, but because I was wrong. I didn't understand how it would feel to watch the markets go down 35%. Aren't bear markets the perfect time to have people reevaluate how much risk is appropriate for them? Absolutely. It's like a fire drill, but it's more than a fire drill. It's actually living through an actual fire, but one that's managed. And so it is an opportunity to revisit those decisions and to make sure that the asset allocation that you've chosen is the right one, is one you can live with. And just wanted to point out that, again, if it wasn't for these kinds of headlines that we're going through right now, you would have no need to have 
lower expected return assets in your portfolio. So if there was no risks, if there was no wars or there was no hurricanes or there was no terrorists or whatever, then perhaps you could get by with a 100% stock portfolio and hopefully they would just go up. If there was none of those things, none of those things that caused volatility, then the expected return of stocks would be lower. Absolutely, it would. Because, of course, the price of stocks would move up to reflect essentially a guaranteed return. Tell us the next one. The next one is diversification. We talked about that in episode three. And the concept there is just to own many things in many companies, sectors, geographic locations, asset classes, etc. So by not just investing in stocks, but not just investing in Canadian securities, by diversifying by types of securities, whether they're small companies or large companies around the world, all of that has the effect of reducing risk, period. Let me carry on with that thought for a minute because we're talking about Alberta energy markets and headlines. The Canadian market, as we talked about in a previous episode, is only 3 to 4% of the world market. Correct. So when we're talking about asset allocation and diversification, I feel like when I talk to people about that, it sounds boring. Like it's, let me guess, you're going to tell me to revisit my asset allocation and make sure I'm diversified and not overweight to Canada. Isn't there a good stock I should pick instead? Isn't that something that people ask? Absolutely. And particularly when we look at times like this, when, as we've talked again, the broad markets are being driven up by a very small number of very large companies, like the technology companies that have done so well in this COVID period. Oh, and actually, we looked at something before we got on here about that. We did. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is just the 30 largest companies that trade in the United States, years ago was comprised of, it had many energy names in that index, correct? That's right. And how many are left in that Dow Jones Industrial Average today, Greg? There's one. One out of 30. So that being Chevron, again, not promoting to buy or sell Chevron. This is just statistical fact that they are the only <laughs> energy company in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's right. And that just shows that rotation as economies grow and as technologies change, the structure of the market is going to change. And we did talk about stock picking. And as we discussed in episode four, basically it's a zero sum game, period. Or negative. Or negative sum game, but it can't be positive. Well, not for everybody. That's right. So you're going to be on one side of the trade. Absolutely. We talked about market timing in episode nine, and this is a perfect environment where people are very tempted to time the market. So an example might be they'll say, well, I think maybe now there's going to be a lot of volatility around the election. We should just get out of the market and wait until after the election to get back in, and then we'll see where things are. And again, what you're doing there is you're making a prediction that, okay, well, from this point forward, the market's going to go down further. And then I'm going to be able to pick exactly the right time to get back in before the market starts going up. And in fact, what we find is that pretty much the opposite happens. People don't feel comfortable getting back into the market until it's already going up. Well, wait a minute, but that is selling low and buying high. Exactly right. <laughs> so That will never work in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about another key strategy to avoid getting caught up in these headlines, and that was in episode 16. Blair and I went through... Planning. So financial planning, not just having a financial plan, but following one. This is really important. It's probably, well, I think everything else is based off of the planning that's done, Greg, because the asset allocation strategy that you're going to employ and everything else that comes after it comes after figuring out what's important to an investor that requires their planning, their money, and their time that they want to accomplish. 
Totally. Planning drives everything. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you get there, as the old expression says. So. Is that like that road in Alaska that goes to nowhere? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and the last thing that people can do is just pay attention to behavioral biases that we talked about last time in episode 18, because it's easy to fall into traps. We need to understand the traps and refocus on the items we've just discussed, those being asset allocation, diversification, etc. Because as we talked about last time, it's easy to either through using a bias like hindsight or overconfidence, or any one of these number of natural human things that we do, we can end up going down the wrong path. So we just got to focus on the things we've talked about and try to keep behavioral biases at bay. Right on. So asset allocation, diversification, don't try to pick stocks, don't time markets, make sure you got a good plan and understand why the decisions are being made. It's all we can do. What happens is going to happen. We don't have any control over it but we have the ability to control all of those things you've just discussed. So maybe this is a little redundant, but what does it all mean, Greg? What have we learned today? The key thing is not so much what we've just covered in the last few minutes, but just to focus on the fact that there will always be scary headlines and we're going through an extremely difficult time right now because we've got the convergence of all these different things. And we've just talked about four today, but I guarantee there's a whole lot more going on in the world, even than those four big items that we just talked about. The key thing is to be able to put that in perspective. I'm pretty sure most of us watch or listen to the news and have emotional reactions to it. And the key thing is to not let those emotional reactions find their way into our investment portfolios. Right on. So Greg, what are you doing for fun these days? Reading anything, watching anything? It's been pretty late. What about you? I know you were working on some book on the downfall of money. Yeah, I'm still working on it. I haven't been reading it as fast as I thought I would. But watching something, I got to tell you, I, my wife and I have been watching Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai is the Netflix spinoff from The Karate Kid. Oh, right. So it's like the original characters from the original Karate Kid, now as middle-aged males, and it's an interesting watch. It's very easy to watch too. The episodes are only like 28 minutes long. Very interesting. Well, the only other thing I've been doing is just kind of exploring options for hair regrowth strategies. And so, <laughs> yeah, I did touch a nerve with this headline. <laughs> I'd change it, but we've already discussed it so much during this episode. It might be hard to. That's right. I'm just going to have to live with it. Well, listen, we hope that everybody enjoyed the talk. And if you do like this episode or any of them, when you're listening to them on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts from, please give us a review and even send us, I don't know, a topic that you'd like us to address or anything like that. Share it. And thanks for joining us today on The Free Lunch. Thanks for listening. Until next time. All right. Next time. Thank you for listening to The Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. 
This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.